Amen. Well, guys, if you brought a Bible, and we hope that you did, would you grab hold of that and open it up to the book of 1 John? 1 John is where we are on Sunday mornings as we have been working verse by verse through this book, and we continue in that this morning and getting near the end of it, quite honestly, and excited just to see the things that God has for us. So hopefully, again, you got a Bible, you're making your way there. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible here in the sanctuary, there's Bibles in the front of the, t- the chairs right in front of you, a page number on the screen. Uh, you can get there rapidly. We invite you to do that. If you want to use uh, a Bible app on your device, that's great as well. But one way or the other, we really do want to encourage you to have the Word of God open in front of you, believing in the power of the Word of God, that His Word is that that works power into our lives. So we just want to encourage you to have that. And if you're joining us in the overflow or online, hear the same invitation. Glad to have you with us. Grab a Bible, open it up, follow along so that God would open up His Word into your life this morning. With that as our aim, I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray as well. Let's just ask that God would give us ears to hear and understand those things which he would have for us this morning. Would you join with me in prayer? And again, pray as well yourself quietly. Father, here we are, and I am so grateful for your word. I think about how you describe it in Psalm 119, that it's a light unto our path, a light that shines in a dark space. God, I'm so grateful for that, and yet I think about how real that is and how personal that is because it's a light that shines on our path. We're gathered here together, but we're different people in different spaces in life, going through different events right now, different seasons of our soul. And your, your word is sufficient to shine light to our path right now. So I'm asking in a very personal and a real way that you would open up your truth to us. That Holy Spirit, you would teach us individually that which you have for us this morning from your word. God, that you grant us favor, that you give us ears to hear the things that you would have for us this morning, and that we would hear. God, your word to be just made known. I'm so longing for that, asking that you would do what I could never do. Make it clear, make it personal, make it real, effective into our lives. We ask for that from your hand into our lives this morning. We ask for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are things that you and I are invited to know. To know, well, yeah, know, to know that they're true. Now, the knowledge of that doesn't make it true, but it's you recognizing it's true. I draw you to that because in many ways that's important. It's where we are in our study of 1 John. We've been making our way through the book of 1 John verse by verse, and we are right at the end. Uh, We're about to finish it, and in this final section, before he gets to one last kind of exhortation that's in the final verse, he concludes the whole letter of 1 John with a series of statements that really begin with that phrase. In fact, you might just notice it there in verse 18. We know that, and he'll say it again in verse 19. We know that, and you'll see it again in verse 20, and we know that. Yeah, pause there, and again, it's in this whole space that he's just telling us, hey, as we end all of this, there are things that you and I can, should, solidly know. We're going to talk about some of them this morning. We'll finish that that section next week as we continue working it through. But as we do so, I want to draw you one more time to this understanding that Part of this knowledge is getting to know those things that are true that would be life-giving for you to know, but your knowing them doesn't create them. It just helps you to acknowledge them. Maybe it'd be helpful to think about it this way. I think about a compass. Many of you guys know you have them. You have them on your phone. Some of you have actually used them. Probably few of us have actually had to use these in uh, kind of everyday, you know, kind of living or life. But for some of you, you have. You've, you're a hunter or you're a camper, and you know what it's like. You've been out there without any cell service or something, and, and all of a sudden you get disoriented. You know, you're there, and you're like, okay, which, which way am I supposed to go? Like, you know, I mean, I need to know, and you have to pull out one of these, these compasses so that you could look and say, okay, where are we? Like, what's exactly taking place? And, and you pull that out so that you can know the orientation of who you are. And you pick it up and you look and say, okay, here's what I know. I pull out the compass and I know, hey, north is this direction. North is right over in this direction. Now, regardless of what you feel right now, 
that way is north. Now, some of you are like, no, no, it's not. I really thought north was different. I mean, it could happen. You can sit here in the sanctuary and go, I don't know, you know, which way. But it, it, it's right over this. And it's, where the, it's right over this direction. That's what the compass says. The compass helps us to get it. It doesn't create that, but it helps us to orient ourselves. It helps us to, to locate ourselves in the midst of it. And here's the key. Sometimes, sometimes that can be so helpful. Sometimes in life, that's exactly what we need. And First John kind of lands this way, kind of pulling together a number of statements that would help us to say, okay, you know, if you, if you get confused, if you're lost, hey, these are some things you can know. Now, in this first part of the section, the thing that he draws our attention to is the battles that you and I face, that we are in the midst of facing several battles. In fact, it can be said very simply that you fight three different battles if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. You fight a battle with the flesh, you fight a battle with the devil, and you fight a battle with the world. You fight a battle with the flesh, with the devil, and the world. Every Christian fights one. Every Christian is facing those things, and these are the things that actually create confusion. Yeah, if life is confusing, if you're disoriented, it's because of one of those battles. It's because of one of those things has you topsy-turvy and lost. And so sometimes what's so incredibly helpful is to pull out God's truth and say, okay, orient me. Like, lock me down to where we are. Help me to see where I am in the midst of this. And that's exactly what John does here. So with that kind of as an understanding, let's read uh, the verses we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll kind of work through them piece by piece. Begin with me there in verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps him, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Okay. Well, there you have it. Those are what we need to think through. And he helps us to begin to understand it. Some things that you and I can absolutely know. Some things that would be very helpful in the midst of the life that you're fighting and the life that you're living. The first one, again, has to do with the things that are fake taking place in the battle or area of our flesh. And he says it this way again in verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. That's a good place for us to stop and kind of wrap our minds around us. He says, whatever, whoever is born of God does not sin. The reality that he's reminding us, that which he's held out to us already in the letter of 1 John, is that for if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then something radically happened in that moment. The moment that you believed upon Jesus, you were born again. You are radically changed and transformed. You are born again by God. And that nature that God caused you to be born again in, in that moment has a brand new life to it, has a brand new nature that never sins. Now, that's just important. Now, I find myself, I've just got to be honest with you, I want to just talk about this for a long time. I don't have a long, I mean, if I spend too much time on this, I'll get stuck. I kind of did that in the first service, and so uh, I'm going to try not to do it here in the second service. Uh, but I just want to tell you, this is an incredible reality, a place where he's inviting us, reminding us of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that he told us back in chapter 3 of 1 John that whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God that to be a follower of Jesus, we have this. We have this brand new nature inside of us that's sinless, that's righteous because of Christ, that's been given to us the moment we're born again. And one of the keys is, is to believe that. In fact, it gives it to us this way in Romans 6, where it says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul does this, he spends three chapters on it, honestly, chapters 6, 7, and 8, that really kind of wrap its mind around some of the truths that we're trying to just say very simply here this morning. But right here he says, here's what you need to do. You need to reckon this. Like, you need to get this clear in your mind. Like, you need to pull out the compass and say, okay, where are we? Well, here's where I am. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I died. Sin, I'm dead to that. Like, because he died on the cross, that's no longer that which owns me, but now I'm alive to God in Christ. Now I have this new nature that's, that's in Christ that is alive, which is incredible. 
hugely theological, incredible, wonderful weight, vital that we understand, but let's just pull it down to practical for a moment. Because we've done that a little bit in our, in our study of 1 John, and one of the verses that we've talked about over and over, because it gives it to us in such a clear nutshell, is Galatians 5, verse 17. It says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Wow. Like, this is like a spiritual x-ray that just shows the heart of a believer, and it's glorious that he does so. He says, here's the problem. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have this new nature, and the Spirit of God is inside of you, and it wants to do good. Like, that's what it is. It, it wants to do what's right, and it's seeking to live that way, but you still have the flesh. You still have this old nature, and inside the, the heart of a believer is now a spiritual war that's taking place. The spiritual war that is a wrestle between this new nature that's given to you in Christ and this old nature, this flesh that's there. And here's what I know. I mean, we could spend a long time on this, but this is something that you know by experience if you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you really don't. I mean, a follower of Jesus is dead. They don't have a new nature living inside of them. They can try to be good, but they don't battle with this in the same way. Again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this would not be something you could totally wrap your mind around. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is kind of that ultimate Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing. It's like, I'm good. I'm not good. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. No, I'm not doing the right thing. It's like, what in the world is happening? Like, why, why am I this way? And, and, and how come this is happening? And here he just says, here's the problem. They both exist. They both exist in this moment. The new nature that Jesus gave you and the flesh, and that battle is that which keeps you from fully living out right now what God has for you. Again, if this can quickly wrap your mind around it, here's the deal. When we're done with this life, when Jesus comes back for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to leave your flesh behind. And in that moment, you're going to enter into a perfect existence. But it doesn't begin that moment you got set, that you die. It was already yours. It was already yours. That, that, that your new nature was given to you the moment you believed. And, and heaven is only going to become an expression of what God has already done in you. It's already a part of that. That's a radically wonderful truth that he lays out to us right here, that he's helping us say, hey, this is who we are. So this is true. This is true. Now, you might not feel it. You might be here this morning. It's like, well, Jim, I don't feel that way. You know, I don't feel that that's true, but you're telling you that's the point of the compass, right? It's like, it doesn't matter what you feel. Like, you're a follower of Jesus. This is the reality of what God has done in your life. This is where you are. You're in a space that you can look at this and say, okay, I, I, I get where I am, and this is where, where this works out in my life. Now, if you believe this, there are incredible practical, practical aspects to this, because see, here's the deal. Sin no longer defines us as Christians. It's no longer who we are. And if you believe this, if you really believe this, knowing who you are becomes life-giving, empowering. So quickly just thinking this through for a moment. I'm telling you these things, and I'm just telling you they're true. I'm hoping that I'm just reminding you of some things that you've already figured out in Christ, but it's possible this morning that for some of you are like, Jim, I don't know if I've ever heard this before. Or I don't, my, my mind is not totally wrapped its way around this, and I'm confused. Well, I just want to invite you to it, because here's the deal. So there's this battle happening inside of you, the flesh against the spirit. If you don't recognize what Christ has already done in you, that you are a new person in Christ, and that the old has passed away, that all things have become new, if you don't recognize who it is, sometimes what happens in the battle with sin, which you are facing a battle with sin, you are fighting with the flesh. Sometimes what happens is we surrender to that battle before even putting up a fight because we find ourselves saying, it's just who I am. It's what I do. I'm an angry person. That's what I do. You know, I'm a covetous, lustful person. That's what I do. And you find yourself surrendering to that as if it really does define you, as if that's the real person you are. But I'm telling you, it's not the real person you are. See, we get it so confused that for some of us, when we struggle, and we all struggle with the flesh, but when we do badly, and we all do badly at times, when we do badly, we have this weird thing that we almost own it as if that's who we are. Like, I'm such a terrible person. 
I'm such a loser. I don't even know. I mean, I, I always mess these things up. It's just who I am. But I want to tell you in the most simple way, that is not true. That is more a voice of condemnation. It's the voice of what Satan does in our lives. It's not real. No, the truth of the matter is this. When you sin as a follower of Jesus, it's as if you're acting out of your mind. It's as if you're acting totally outside of the nature that you really are. It's as if you're like, that's not you. That is no, that's not the real you any longer. Right now, you are behaving in such a foreign way that it's like you need to come back to the orientation of who you really are in Christ. To come back to say, that's not the, I mean, that's what I was. It's no longer what I am. I am no longer that person. He's made me a new person in Christ. Now I'm, I'm in Him and, and just believing this, just kind of reorienting ourselves in this, it's one of those things that in the midst of a battle, we can be able to say, I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. I, I know what this is and it gives us life. So important is this, it helps us understand that we would grab that God has never made us. What He has made you to be is never to sin. Because that which is born of God does not sin. Hey, this exposes one of the big lies that's true in our world right now, that's being kind of pushed upon people in our world, that it will sometimes look at their sinfulness and want to say, God wants you to be that way. God made you to be that way. Oh, you guys understand, right? That's the culture you live in, so you'll have people. You might even know somebody who has told you, hey, you know, I'm transsexual or I'm a homosexual because that's what God made me to be. Like, God made me this way. And what John is telling us is, uh-uh, he did not make you that way. Sin made you that way. The world made you that way. There's brokenness that's there. God loves you. He cares about you. He can rescue you. But that is not who he made you to be. That he would never do that. He has not created us to sin. That new person you are in Christ is not that. And just to believe this, just to believe this, all by itself would be incredible for you. I mean, you would find yourself being able to enter into these places and into these spaces where you would be able to recognize who you are in Christ and say, that which is born of God, it doesn't do that. That person that I am, it doesn't do that. And I want to be more like the person that God has already made me to be in Christ. Incredibly joyful. Incredibly real. But in this battle with our flesh, it doesn't end there because he adds in another little nugget here that helps us understand it. So go back to our verse so you can see it. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps him. Pause there. He who has been born of God keeps him. Yeah, he lays this out to us, and here's an incredible thought, and it's a big one. And I just want to pause and say this. It's really kind of a really beautiful thing, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to say it clearly. I've really been trying to figure out how to say it better, but there's a beautiful tie-in that God does here in the text that is linguistically beautiful, that is theologically powerful, that's so real that I, I just would long for you to be able to see it better than I'm going to say it, because he takes something here and takes the same term and applies it in a different way. Because this time, here as he says, the one who is born of God is keeping him. The description is not of you and I. The description is of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, this is really powerful. Because he just said, okay, so the one who is born of God, which is a description of you and I, hey, will never sin. Then he takes that same term, and it's a little bit different in the Greek language. It's more clear within the Greek text than it is in the English text, but it's absolutely clear that the second time he uses this same term, he's not talking about us, he's talking about Jesus. Different translations will, will bring it out differently and see it well. One of the ones that I like to look at is the Amplified Bible that is a, one that seeks to kind of bring out the nuances of the Greek text, and it simply says it this way, but the one, capitalized, who was begotten of God, carefully watches over and protects him. So why is this important? Why is this so powerful? Well, it's simply this reality that the weight and the wonder of everything we're trying to talk about right now, it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been begotten 
of God. And you are begotten of God because the one and only begotten Son of God came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. The reason that we have life, the reason that we have a new nature, the reason that we have heaven coming is not because we're good. It's because Jesus is good. It's because of Jesus what he's done. It, it, it takes us, and so there's this really powerful statement that's flowing into this that almost becomes a celebration of saying, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been begotten of God, and that will never sin. And he who is the begotten of God is the one who is keeping us and holding us. Wow. And think about it this way. Peter would talk, tie into this in his letter. He says, God who has begotten us again, or maybe better translated, who has caused us to be born again. God, who made us, if you're a follower of Jesus, made us born again. He did this to give us a living hope, and we have it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. It's Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because of what He is. It's because of what He has done that has brought us into this reality. It's because of of His strength in this that now gives us hope. So track that for a moment and go back and see it. So we have this laid out to us in verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but, and now we've changed, he who has been born of God keeps him. It's better translated him. If you have the New King James, it says himself, but it'll even probably have a notation there in your Bible that most Bibles say him. It's not that you're keeping yourself. That would really be a scary thing. I mean, it'd really be like, okay, well, yeah, you got to keep yourself. It'd be like, okay, like that's not going to go well for, no. It's that Jesus is keeping you. Now, when we think about this, there's a couple ways that that applies out. First of all, there's an understanding that Jesus keeps us eternally. That because if you're a follower of Jesus and if you're genuinely born again, you have this reality that he's the one that holds us. I think about it this way. In John 6, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Everybody who God gives me is coming, and I will never, ever cast away the ones that that God has given to me. He goes on and says it this way in verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, or I won't lose anyone but should raise it up at the last day. In fact, he would say it again in John 10 this way, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone be able to snatch them out of my hand. Wow. Hey, this is one of these incredible realities that draws us to what we would usually say is the, the place of having a confidence of our salvation or having an assurance of our salvation. Now, if you've been with us in 1 John, you know we've talked about this over and over. Because one of the great themes of 1 John is this place where we can come to an absolute confidence that we're His, that we know we're His, that we, 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 that to the, those who He has given us life, that we would absolutely know that. In fact, back up there in your text just for a moment and notice what it said there in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So there's this incredible place where that he's inviting us to that. Now, if that's not something that you have right now, I invite you to it. We have multiple messages that we gave in 1 John. I'll invite you back to those uh, to go into detail. But For those of you who know this, I mean, you have this. I mean, you know that you're His. You're a follower of Jesus. There's this incredible place of just feeling the weight of this. This place where you can kind of pull out the compass in the midst of a confusing moment, in the midst of struggle with our world and struggle with sin, and just go, I know. (laughs) I know He's got me. It's not my hold on Him. It's his hold on me that gives me confidence, right? You guys just sang that with us. We just sang that song that we've been singing this year a lot, and I just so love it. It says, I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. He'll not let my soul be lost, you sang. He's going to hold me fast. 
What an incredible confidence. What a place there is in life when you can actually believe this, when you can say, he's got me. He's got me. I mean, I knew this. I knew in the middle of how life feels, I don't, it doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter. I mean, here's what I know. I absolutely have a confidence that no matter how this turns out, no matter what's going to happen in the middle of this, I can have confidence in this battle because he's keeping me. That's true. <laughs> that is incredibly true. And if that were all that it would be, it would be enough. But it has a practical ramification as well. Because not only is he the one that's keeping us eternally, He's the one that is able to keep us practically. He's the one that is able to strengthen us in this battle with the flesh. Now, I love the way it gives it to us in the book of Jude. In Jude, verse 24, it simply says it this way. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Wow. Just hear this for a moment. And and it's life-giving. He's able. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, there's a battle taking place in you, that, that flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, right? That's what we talked about. But understand this, he's able. He's able to give you strength. That when we think about that whole place, that what it tells us in Galatians, that I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He says, you know, this this thing that we now live in is a place where we recognize it's no longer me. It's Christ who's living in me. It's the strength of my life flows in him, flows in his power to work this out. So I go back to that verse again that I just quoted there in Galatians 5 and tells us, hey, here's your battle. The fleshless against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary. Keeps you from doing what you ought to do. But this isn't meant to be a, a truth that is gutting you of power, of making it like, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way life is. I mean, just, we all go through it, and everybody goes through it, and there's no way to get out of it. No, the weight of this, he tells us in the verse that heads into this, he says, I'm telling you all this because if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, if you live the life in Christ, if you abide in Jesus, all of these are descriptions biblically of the same relationship. If you do that, you can overcome sin. You can overcome sin. That's what, that the power is always there. The power is always there. The power is enough in that moment to walk in that. The power is that that would help you to get there. The power in Christ is that that would be enough for you. This is incredible. Again, these are just truths that he's inviting us to see. And if we believe them, we'd know this. For starters, we know the flesh will never win. You'd be able to kind of pull out your compass and wherever, you know, you're fighting a battle with your flesh. And maybe you are. Maybe today it's, it's very, very real for you. And you came into this place. You're like, man, I am just struggling. I'm struggling with my flesh. I feel jealous. I feel envious. I, I, I feel lustful. I feel covetousness. There's a place you could look at your flesh and say, you're going to lose. You know, like, I know this. I know where this is going, and I know where I'm heading, and the new nature wins, and you're going. I mean, there's, there's just something all by itself that would be helpful. But add to this, there's a place where if you know this, it would give you confidence. Where if you know that Christ is enough, that we never have to sin, that Christ and his strength is enough to enable us. Now, again, the struggle is real. Probably most of us will continue in that battle that we face it, sometimes having good days, sometimes having bad. But there's something about just recognizing, I didn't have to do that. You know what he tells us in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken us except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He'll never let us be tempted above what we're able, you know, beyond what we're able, but he always provides a way out. And, and that way out is, is, is God's strength in our life, and that would be life-giving. See, here's how it works. For somebody, you're struggling with your flesh, and because you've lost sight of this, you just give in. You just like, well, you know, temptation comes, and I just do it because that's who I am. You know, I can't not do that, you think. I can't not lose my temper. I'm just an angry person. That's just what I do. And, and somehow when you face that, you surrender to it, because you've believed a lie, 
But if in Christ you can say, that's not true, that's not who I am now in Christ, and He will help me. If I would look to Christ, He is able to keep me from stumbling. That's incredibly helpful. It's incredibly helpful as we face those battles, that if you're in this face, and all of us are, that we'd be able to say, okay, this is true. Boy, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I got a new nature, and Jesus has me, and He is the strength of my life. He is the strength of my soul, and this not only becomes life-givingly true, but incredibly helpful. Now, if you only figured this out this morning, I want to tell you it would change things. It would change some of how you're living your life, because some of the problems that you're having is because you've lost sight of who you are. You've lost sight of these realities, and if you just kind of figured this out all by itself, some of the other battles, they would just go away because you've figured this out. That said, the other battles are still there. So let's zoom out. We talk about it this way. Okay, there are things that we know, and and we know things that help us in our battle with the flesh. We know who we are in Christ. We have a new nature. Jesus is enough. He's going to take us to the end. Those things would help us. But then he draws us to see how that affects our relationship and the battle that we face with Satan or the devil. So let's read it from the beginning so you see it. It says in verse 18, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps him, and the wicked one does not touch him. Yeah, the wicked one, Satan, doesn't touch him. The wicked one has no power in this. Who's the him? Well, I know that makes sense, but I want to make sure you're there. The him that is being protected is the one who's born of God and kept by Jesus, because that's what he just said. Hey, the one who has this new nature in Christ, who has been given this in Christ, who Jesus is holding, the wicked one can't touch you. The wicked one cannot touch you. This would be radical. This would be so helpful to believe. So much application because here's the deal. Satan's real. The devil's real. The battle that we face with him is real and genuine, but Satan's a liar. That's what Jesus said. He is a liar who's been a liar from the beginning, and so often he seeks to help to cause you to see this battle with him in a way that wouldn't be true. So a few things that this helps us understand. First of all, it's impossible for a Christian to ever be under Satan's just domineering control, that a Christian cannot be possessed by Satan or a demon. Hey, that's important. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that demonic possession is a real deal. Demons possess people, they can do so, and when they possess them, they control them. They control what they do, why they do it, how they do it. It's a scary, scary deal. Sometimes Christians begin to fear, like, is that what's happening to me? But it cannot happen. A a demon cannot possess you. It can, you know, that we can be oppressed by demons. We can be oppressed by it, by outside voices, but they can never control. This is really, really helpful. Lots of other verses say that, but this is certainly saying that. With that, it also helps us to understand that since Satan can't touch these believers, he can't recover them. I don't, it's just, just helpful for me, maybe helpful for somebody else, to understand the battle that we face with Satan. He can't get you back. He can't touch. If you're a follower of Jesus, he can't pull you back to his side. He can't, because nobody can snatch you out of the hand of Christ. His battle strategy has one strategy in your life, to make your life meaningless, to make your life no longer making an impact for Christ, but he can't get you. That would be helpful. That would be helpful because that's sometimes what Satan would want to to make us afraid. Like, hey, you know, I'm going to pull you back. You know, I'm going to win you over. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place of like, well, maybe it's happening. Like, it's like, but no, that can't happen. Satan cannot get a hold of the person who's a follower of Jesus. He can't touch them. In fact, this word touches even more than that because it has the idea that, I'll say it this way, works for me, I hope for you, he cannot manhandle Christians. I mean, it's a pretty interesting word. He cannot touch us. The idea of touching has the idea of putting his finger on, his hand on, or even more grabbing or grasping that there's a sense that he cannot control. Therefore, in Christ, he can be fully resisted, and he can be just that which we withstand and overcome. 
It's real. The battle of Satan's real. I think about it this way when Peter would say it. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Resist him, he says. He says, you got to be aware. Like, you need to be aware. We have a real adversary. He really is your adversary, but it is worth noting. His bark is worse than his bite for Christians. He is just a voice. He is just able to scare you. He is just able to create fear so that you make a bad choice. You're the only one that, I mean, he has no ability to control that in your life. He has no ability to do that, so much so that God would simply say, okay, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He can't do anything else. I mean, if you're, I mean, it's like, I'm just going to draw near to God. I'm just going to lean into God. And it's like Satan's like, oh, I, can't. I, I can't. I can't do anything with you. I, I have no power to do that. John had talked about this earlier in the letter of 1 John. Some of you might remember when he just lets us know that he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. He says, I'm writing to you to tell you if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a, you know, even a young follower of Jesus, you're growing this, you've come to an understanding. Satan doesn't win. I've overcome. I'm an overcomer in Christ. I'm one who overcomes what he has, and that becomes incredibly life-givingly powerful. So he's drawing us to all that that would be, and there's a way of helping us understand in this battle that is a battle that we're facing, Satan's a liar. Satan's a liar. And if you believe his lies, you will get disoriented. You will find yourself terrified, feeling like he's controlling you, like he's pulling the strings in your world or life, that he has some kind of dominance in you. And yet this just comes and says, here's what we know. Here's what we know. If we're his and Christ has us, he cannot do that. He cannot touch us. He cannot get us. He cannot get us back, and he can't control us. And I'm just telling you, that would be incredibly helpful. Again, I was just like, okay, that, that's just good for me to know. I mean, yeah. I mean, it is a battle I'm facing, but it is not a battle that I have to lose because greater is he who's within me, John told us, than he who's in the world. That Christ in us is that which gives us authority and gives us overcoming power. And it's just an incredible reality for you and I to know that in this battle, he is more than enough for you. In this battle, he is more than enough for your strength. Okay, so we back up for a moment and we're gazing at this whole section that is just making some statements like, this is what we know, this is what we know. We know that as we face our battle with the flesh, He's made us new. Everyone who's born of God doesn't sin. Jesus keeps them. We know that. We should know that. And we know that because of that, in the battle with the devil, he can't even touch us. Like, he can't even touch us. But that draws us into that third arena, that third battlefront that is part of every Christian's life, which is the battle that we face with the world. Just so you again see it in the text, let's start one more time from the beginning and read all of it. We know, verse 18, that whoever is born of God does not sin. That new nature doesn't sin. But he, Jesus, who has been born of God, keeps him. And the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So in this battle with the world, there's a perspective that he wants to make sure you and I have, that everything in our world right now, it lies under the sway, it lies under the influence of the wicked one. That our world, and we're not talking about physical creation, we're not talking about plants or animals when we use this word world, this time it's used of our world system, of everything that's in our world that is worldly, that is a rejection of Jesus, that is all that's there in our world, which is permeating our culture right now, he just reminds us that that world system is not neutral, it is not good, nor is it even under the control of humanity. It's not people who are making the world system bad. That world system is under Satan's influence. It's under Satan's dominion. It's under Satan's kind of work. He is the architect, and he is the influencer of our world. So, pausing. Do you believe that? 
I mean, really? I mean, do you really believe? You, you should, because I'm telling you, it is absolutely true. He is telling you right now, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But sometimes we find ourselves not believing it. I, I, I mean, I have these conversations, and some of you maybe have had the conversation with me, so please understand I'm probably forgetting that we did, so I'm not trying to like bring it up in front of everybody, but I just know it happens. It happens in my own heart, because people will come up and they'll say things like this, like, 2022, it's so terrible. It's all because of the politics. I mean, if we could just go back to 1950, it would make everything better. I mean, if we could just undo, if we could go back to some other season, I mean, we just want to go away from this. Now, here's what I want to tell you. There are seasons in history that have been greatly influenced by revivals or awakenings. Those are unique. But even in those moments, the world has always been under the sway of the wicked one. It is true in 2022, and it was true in 1950, and it was true in 1850, and it was true in 1650, and it was true in 950 AD, and it was true in the very first century when John writes us. He says, when we're looking out at our world, we know this world system is not under God's, it's being led by Satan. Satan is the architect that is moving in the midst of all this, and sometimes it's just we've lost sight of that. Sometimes we find ourselves almost looking at our world and thinking, you know, I think our world is good. It's just the politics. I mean, if, if we could just fix Washington, like that would change the world. Like, really? Like, no, it really wouldn't. I mean, and, and sometimes people will look at it and say, you know, sometimes it feels like you can almost feel it, like there's some, something dark behind our world. Like maybe there is some kind of, you know, human, maybe there is some kind of Illuminati, maybe there's some kind of things, and I'm not saying that there's not any of that in case anybody, I'm just going to say if there is even in that, then behind them is Satan. Okay, let's just, because I don't want to get anybody lost in this moment. I just want to tell you, it's not men. We have a, an evil system that is controlling our world. And believing that would be so helpful. I think about it in Ephesians 6 when it reminds us about this. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Pause there and just, just let that land. People aren't your problems. I mean, if you think it's the Democratic Party or you think it's something, the Republican Party, or you think it's, you know, Putin in, in, in Russia, I should tell you, that is not our problem. People aren't our problem. People aren't, they're not the real ones who are orchestrating all the brokenness in our world. We are wrestling against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's like a demonic system that is behind and influencing our world. And he says, hey, that's what we're facing right now. I mean, that's the battle that you and I are facing. It's a real battle, but it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle that's there. I think about it in Ephesians 2. It speaks about it this way. If you're a follower of Jesus, he made you alive. You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. And then he just unpacks it this way. He says, in what you once walked, the sins that you used to live in, you did that according to the way the world works, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's a title for Satan, by the way. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He says, before you came to Christ, you were under Satan's dominance. He was the one controlling our world. He was the one leading even into our spaces and places. And he helps us and says, okay, that's where we're called to believe this. We're called to say, okay, this is what I understand. This is what the world system is. What would it do for you right now if you really believed that? You know, I, I'm not even going to answer that question for you, except to say it's a really big one. But if you could look at our world and say, I know who's behind it. I know who's behind our world right now. I know that the wicked one is the one who is swaying our world. If you believe that, it would change some of the perspectives you're having right now. And honestly, it would orient you so well. It would find you like a compass being able to say, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I mean, I know that this really is an evil thing happening in the world, and it really is dark and demonic. And yeah, that's what the Bible says. And you would be like, of course that's true. That's incredibly true. We'd find ourselves believing that. Before I leave that, I found myself thinking about just how real this is and, and how true it is. And if you're here this morning and you're not born again, you're not a follower of Jesus, then this is actually where you are. 
You're in a world system that is actually controlling even your destiny right now, controlling even the choices that you have. You are under Satan's sway. You are under his work. See, I go back to that passage in Ephesians 2, and it says, in which you once walked, speaking to a believer, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The Bible would tell us that if you're not a follower of Jesus, that that's where you are. Now, I just found myself thinking about this. It's one of those fascinating things that happens when you come to Christ. I just got to be honest. Like before I surrendered my life to Jesus, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I mean, if you'd come to me as a person who was not yet a follower of Jesus and told me, hey, Jim, you know what? You know who's in control of your world and control of your destiny in life? It's Satan. Like Satan is the architect of the, of the currents that are just shaping your existence. I would have told you, no way. Like I make my own decisions. Like I'm in charge of my destiny. Like that's the whole deal. And I just want to tell you, it is such a lie. It is such a, it's a funny deal. I mean, I, I just, I get kind of giggles in weird ways. And so it may not work for anybody else. I get to, you hear people say that kind of thing every now and then. Like I'm so independent. I'm, I'm rebellious. I do my own thing. But the funny thing is everybody who says that looks like everybody else who says that. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, you know, there's, there's not like one person and they're so different than, it's like, it's whatever it is in the culture that says, hey, this is what rebellion looks like. There's a hundred of them. There's a million of them. And you're like, I'm so independent. It's like, I don't think you are. I think, I think you got caught in a current. I think Satan is leading a rebellious part of the world and you, th- but, but he is controlling your destiny right now. And I want to tell you that not in a way that is meant to be, you know, just mocking who you are, but I want to tell you that's what Jesus fixes. Paul says it in Acts 18 when he's preaching the gospel there. He comes and he says, here's what we have. We have this place where God has come in the gospel to rescue us from the power of darkness and to bring us into the light. He has come to rescue us from the power of Satan to bring us into the power of God, to give us forgiveness of our sin, to give us an inheritance in heaven if you would just believe in him, if you would just believe in him. And I just want to tell you, if you're here this morning, we want you to be rescued. We want you to be rescued from the brokenness that's there. If you can feel it, and it might really be that way. Like you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And some of what I've said this morning is just, you're like a new nature and perfect. I don't even know what you're talking about. But somehow you're aware of it. You're like, you know, this world feels dark. And it feels like there's something influencing the world. And I feel like I'm getting carried away in it. You are. But Jesus can rescue you. This is what he does. He rescues people from darkness. And that's an incredible space that we would be able to just recognize and say, if that's you this morning, we long that he would rescue you. Okay. So we've kind of talked about this, but we actually haven't gotten to the meat or the practical or the thing that is really speaking to us as believers. But before we say it, I just want to make sure I kind of set the context again, because he's telling us, here's what we have. This whole world, everything in this world system is under Satan's dominance. Everything in this world right now, it really is being orchestrated by the, by the powers of darkness, this world and its system that's all going to go away when Jesus comes back. Satan is working in it. So what is helpful for you and I to believe when we see that? Not only understanding the world that we live in. Ah, well, that's the first part of the verse. Go back and see it. So verse 19, we know that we who are followers of Jesus, we're of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Here's what we know. That's not us. Like what Satan is and and what he's doing, that's not who, who we are. We know who we are. And in this world, that's not our identity any longer. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity in this world is not being a part of this world, but we find ourselves in a world that we no longer belong in. We find ourselves, if you're a follower of Jesus, living in a world that everything inside of you knows this is no longer where you fit. I love the way it gives it to us in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, here's the thing, if you're a follower of Jesus... Your home isn't here any longer. There's a sense of your citizenship, your belonging, where you really are are supposed to be from. It's now heaven. So that now we live our lives as 
aliens and strangers. Now we live our lives as here in this world, but no longer belonging to this world. No longer saying, hey, this is my home. We recognize who we are, that we are the people of God here in this world, but we are no longer in that. We've been rescued out of the world. We now find ourselves in this space that we belong to him. And I want to tell you that's radical. In fact, I love that so much. That's how I titled this morning's message. Titled this morning's morning message, we know that we are of God. Because in some ways, I think it says everything that I've tried to say this morning. Here's what we know. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new nature, you're kept by Jesus, Satan can't touch you, and you don't belong in this world. Like, that is no longer who you are. That is no longer what defines you. That is no longer your reality. And if you just believed that, if you just understood that, it would rescue you. In fact, I've read a couple spaces and times from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, and so I want to just do it one more time. I just want to read to you. In fact, I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 8 or verse 9. I'm going to read all of that. I'll put it on the screen so you can follow if you want, but if you don't want to even pay attention to the screen, just let it wash over you for a moment because it's going to say there everything I've tried to say to you this morning, but in a different way. And sometimes it's just helpful to have truth come at us from another angle. So he gives it to us this way in Ephesians 2. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you, you he made alive who were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but he changed that. He has given you life now. He has made you alive. You used to in what you once walked in those sins according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That used to be who you are. You used to be the one that whom among all that we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else, just like everybody else. That is who we were. We were in a world under God's judgment, under God's rebellion. We were sinners. We had no, that, that was our living. That's who we were. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ so that now we have life. By grace, we've been saved. It's not us. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we've achieved it. It's Christ. He is our life. He is our hope. He is our help. So much so, this grace that we have in Christ, it has now raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, that's an incredible mouthful, but let me just try to quickly give it to you. He says, here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's already yours. You are already seated in Christ. You, the, the person that you're going to be in heaven, the person that you're going to be, it's already yours. We're not talking about something you're earning or achieving or you're going to get just when you die. It is, you are, already, you are already sitting together in heavenly places in Christ. That is already your standing. That is already your bearing. That when we do get there, that we're going to see it and go, it's all Jesus. It was all Jesus. It was him that rescued me and made me alive together in him so that we would say, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We would be able for all eternity to know that incredible reality, but that is who we are. That is where we are. That is what we are. Guys, that's incredible. These are things that as we think about all of this, and we think about that which he's saying, he says, this is who we are. So hold that there before all that we've talked about this morning. Because here's the deal. Sometimes life gets confusing. Sometimes our world gets upended. Sometimes it's our flesh. Sometimes it's Satan. Sometimes it's our world. And we can find ourselves incredibly disoriented. I mean, really, we just do. And sometimes it's as if we just have to pull out truth and say, okay, what is true? Not what I feel right now. It's not my gut. Here's what's true. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new nature. It's not sinning. That new nature is yours. You're already seated in Christ in the heavenly places. That in the ages to come, you're going to see what he gave you when you believed upon him. That's who you are. And he's holding you. He's keeping you. He's enough to hold you in life so that Satan can't touch you. And the world that is dark and dominated by Satan, 
It is no longer who you are. It is no longer where you belong. You belong with him. Just believing that changes things. So let's close there. You can close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And wherever that has found you this morning, I just want to invite you to it. It may be this morning, again, that you're not a follower of Jesus. And we've talked about who you are. We've, we, we've caused you to understand that you're in a broken world, that you're a sinner, that you're by nature a child of wrath. And I just want to tell you, that's what God does. That's what Jesus does. He fixes people, and it's not by what you've done. For by grace we've been saved, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's grace that we offer to you to believe upon Jesus and be saved and to change everything. If that's you this morning, may you be invited into Christ. May God draw you to believe upon him. But for many of you, you are his kids. And maybe I've said things this morning that you fully understand. In fact, you fully believe them. And you're like, man, I, I totally get it. Like, like, I was oriented really well. Like, I could pull this out and go, yep, that's, that's my bearings. I know where you are. But some of you, I'm just telling you again, you are upside down. The world, something has knocked you around, and you're confused. You're confused about who you are. You're confused about what Satan's doing. You're confused about the world. And these things are true, whether you believe them or not. But it's worth believing them. And just saying, okay, reorient my soul. Just reorient my soul in these truths because believing who, I, just knowing what Christ has done for us changes them. So would you take a moment, talk to God about that? I'll do the same. We're just going to take a moment and pray. And wherever he has met you this morning, whatever he has talked to you about, would you allow that just to reorient your soul? Just between you and him, you talk to him, I'll do the same. And uh, then we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, I want to pray right now for those who are here joining us online who are not yet followers of Jesus. And I think about what your word just tells us, that they are dead in the trespasses and sins. They are by nature children of wrath. That Satan is the prince of the power of the air that controls their very atmosphere of their life and world. But God, you can fix it. I thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the power of the gospel that you tell us believing rescues us from darkness and brings us into the light, delivers us from the power of Satan and brings us into the power of God, that brings us into forgiveness of our sins and inheritance to those who would believe on you through faith. God, I pray for these this morning that need just this rescue, that you draw them to see where they are and know that they need out, know they need out of a world that is going downhill that they can feel the brokenness and the darkness and the demonic nature of it. They need out. Thank you that that's exactly what you do. And I pray for these that you draw them to Christ this morning. Draw them to that rescue that is so amazing. God, leaving those in your hands and care, I pray for those of us who are yours. And you have brought us out. You have rescued us from all of this, but sometimes we get confused. So Lord, help us to know it to know that if we are yours, we have been born again. You have given us a new nature that is perfect, that doesn't sin. That new nature that's going to be fully expressed into heaven, that is ours because of Christ. Thank you that in that, Jesus, you are holding us, you are keeping us, 
And you're enough. You're enough to give us strength in that battle with our flesh. Help us to believe it. Lord, help us to believe all that that is and just reminding us that because it's true, because of who we are in you and because you hold us, Satan cannot touch us. And the world that he is influencing, we are no longer a part of. We're yours. We are your people. Help that identity just to be ours this morning in a way that rescues us. I pray for that for me and for all of us here. In Jesus' name, amen.